I'm walking through a fading Thursday evening and I'm bouncing a little on the balls of my feet, partly because I have new socks on and partly because, man, I love evenings like this with people laughing from far-off balconies and the smell of evening flowers in the air and wispy clouds that skip across the blue. I love the hordes of people riding home together from work, an assortment of lycra and business attire and bohemian disregard. I love that sometimes when I listen to an audiobook while walking, I embed what I'm listening to onto the visuals I'm seeing subconsciously so that the next time when I'm walking in that same place, I find myself remembering that exact same bit of the story. And I love a slight breeze and a football scarf out a car window and the through-the-glass hellos that I get from the local greengrocer and the dog bowls that always appear on hot days near drinking fountains and the ancient eucalyptus trees and the far-off music of a school fete and how many girls ride skateboards these days and orange blossom and you. I love these walks too. Just me and the baby looking out at whatever comes our way. Such a rare and silent time, the end of the day. The other two at home enjoying a free and frank exchange of views about bedtime. Coming back down the nature strip towards home, I see Gail, the 60 or so year old woman who lives out the back and who used to live in such a lovely street in Brighton and who is walking towards me with her dog. How are you? She says to me, blanking my name, but making up for it with her splendid face. We talk about the baby. Oh, it's a precious time. She says. I'm about to head off when she looks up. Although perhaps if someone told my son-in-law that, little George might be able to tell his father apart from the Wiggles, do you think? I'm trying to read her expression. I go with a laugh. It's the right move. She asks about Max, who she's seen leaving early in the morning, and I tell her about the masters he's studying and his work and how he misses spending time with the kids, but he'll be finished by Christmas. She swivels back to the son-in-law. It's him I feel sorry for. All you parents who share the load, what a wonderful thing that is. How marvellous for the fathers, don't you think, you know? She says, leaning in. Polly had a little dalliance back in her uni days. Polly, I'm guessing, is the daughter. You wouldn't know it now, says Gail. But we did wander there for a while, Davis and I. I've lost the thread of what she's talking about. The baby is restless in my arms. This was in her 20s, of course, Gail is saying. She said she was in love with a woman. Hard to know back then what to make of it exactly. I mean, Polly was... Oh, I'm trying to remember this girl's name while I talk to you. What was it? Danica, maybe? A Jewish surname. Sorry about that. Her dog is slobbering on the ball and it has dropped it at my feet. I kick the ball. The dog lumbers after it. Anyhow, she says, The other night, Polly showed me on Facebook this Danica, you see, has kids now through the IVF, you know. Married a Canadian woman, apparently. Over there, of course. Now, when she and Polly were younger, well, back then, gay people just didn't have an expectation of a family, did they? She looks at me. Or was it Dominique? Oh, blast. I'm hopeless these days. Really, I am. But anyway, there you go. You see, you never know how things will turn out, do you? My Polly with Andrew and all. That's why I moved house, of course. She needs all the help she can get. 
This is quite the outburst from Gail, whose small talk usually involves a slightly annoyed update on what she has recently rung the council to complain about, so I feel less sure-footed than usual now and mumble something about life being full of surprises. Snuck into that place for sale up the road for a sticky beak. She's telling me as we both head home. Oh, that poor old nonner in all those pokey rooms, you know? She's leaning in again. And far be it from me to sound like a communist. She says, upping my phrases you don't expect to hear from Gail quota to unforeseen heights. But as I said to Greg down the road, we should all chip in, don't you think? Area for the kids out the back. All you young creative people could turn those rooms into studios. I laugh along with her at the prospect of young creative people having enough money to chip in for real estate, but then I realise she's serious. You mark my words, she says, pointing now. You would all be fools to ignore me. And as we part, I reflect on the apparently fierce revolutionary spirit that simmers within Gail, who used to live in Brighton, and who once said something unforgiving about homeless people, but who now wonders if her daughter should still be a lesbian and advocates communal living. The baby is crying full pelt now, and my shoe is wet with dog slobber. But tomorrow is Friday, and everything is going to be okay. Late afternoon on Friday, I pull into the car park out the front of our place, and there's a silver BMW outside the old nonna's house. I look over to see a Gavin or Bevan or Gareth wrestling an open-for-inspection flag from the boot of his car. He looks over at me. His sunglasses are full of the sky. Lovely day for it, he says to me, and I wonder what he thinks it is. I suspect he thinks it might be buying a house. Yes, I say, unloading children and bags and drink bottles and a castle made from toilet rolls and feathers and buttons from out of the car, our messy clutter humiliatingly repeated in his splendid silver hubcaps. I briefly calculate whether I should pretend to be the kind of person who might buy a house. Much interest? I ask, and so foreign to me is the performance of that phrase that I feel he can see right through me. Early days, he says to me. You in the market? But he knows. He's going through the motions. I tell him I'm just a nosy neighbour and I go inside to have a look. His tense little offsider doesn't even write my name in his clipboard but smiles tersely as the kids and I pass. Inside, the house, bar a renovation in the 80s, hasn't been touched. I wouldn't be surprised if Nonna, who used to cut roses from her garden with scissors she could barely hold in her hands, was, just like Ellen next door, born in her own house. The kitchen doorframe is lined in lead pencil with names and years, measurements of children and grandchildren long gone. Daniel, 87. Nicoletta, 58. Maddie, 2010. I imagine them all, ruler to the head, giraffing their necks. Heels to the floor, please, Daniel. And all these years later, here, lined up together, frozen in time. Hello there. I look up. It's Greg. Greg lives out the back and is fluent in the history of the area. Works at the university, seems to know everyone. Says things like... You ever met Stefano down near the corner? He rigged up all these security cameras after he was robbed one time. Never been robbed since. Bit of a secret, though. He found the cameras in a garage sale. None of them work. Once he told me that if I never needed anything, I should let him know because some important people owed him some favours. I'm still not sure if he was joking. I'm not sure if Greg knows if he's joking. I asked Greg about this place. Same family for donkeys. He says. 
join over the road, miner's cottage, uninhabitable but permits to expand, went for a packet a couple of months ago. The real estate Bevan in the hallway behind him removes his sunglasses, does sideways eyes at his assistant. Clearly this is news to them. Development's off the leash around here. Council doesn't care. All of these old places, says Greg, been in people's families for decades. I look out at the small back garden, which ripples and glitches through the thick pocked glass of the ancient window. The real estate Bevan leans back against an ugly old utilitarian sideboard in the hallway that Alan next door reckons his mum lent to a long dead relative of the vendor over 70 years ago. As he lowers himself onto the sideboard, it emits a sharp crack. Mr Real Estate, propelled from his buttocks, pirouettes lightly in the hall and then, collecting himself, checks the sideboard for damage with a concentrated, manly seriousness. He wanders off then, into the sunshine, to welcome more people gathering outside. I tell Greg about the sideboard being Alan's. He bounds down the hallway and touches it with the palm of his hand like it's a horse he is calming down. The sign on the old nonna's house calls it a family home with a sunny aspect. The words seem sad to me as I pass the clusters of people loitering out the front of the place the next day. A pregnant woman stands in the front garden, her hand on her hip, holding the glossy brochure, squinting at the street like she's imagining it with a different coat of paint on it. She is imagining herself, I guess, filling the house behind her with her own life, her own family, her own memories that haven't happened yet. Will the names of her grandchildren inch up the kitchen doorframe? Or do people not measure their kids against doorframes these days? A man joins her from the veranda. So what are you thinking? He says. We'd have to be okay with both our parents helping us out. She says. He does high eyebrows. No kidding. He says. And he looks down at his glossy brochure with its photo of the house on it. Front door open, floorboards golden in the sunlight. Alan's mother's old sideboard, barely visible down the hall. Did the Richmond one have off-street parking? And aren't we interesting, humans? How we move into other people's houses, take up where other people left off, project our own lives into the spaces that used to occupy others. The woman reaches down and feels a rose petal between her finger and thumb. Lovely roses, she says. And just like that, the old nonna is here, even when she isn't anymore, her gigantic scissors having shaped a living frame for the picture this woman sees before her of a life she could have, maybe, one day, once off-street parking and parental contributions and fate have been sorted out. She notices me then, where I am standing, half in and half out of the car, loading my arms with domestic necessities, and she smiles. And despite feeling... A childish fidelity to the old nonna. I smile back. Perhaps it is the house being for sale or the development already overtaking the street or perhaps it's just the weather. On Monday morning, as I walk through the neighbourhood, I experience a strong sense of pre-nostalgia a kind of fond sadness that this moment right now is transient. I rub my chin lightly on the soft hair of the baby strapped to the front of me and I breathe in happy air. 
I love this place. I love those punk pigeons with mohawks and neck tats whose voices warble worriedly when they fly. I love when the council workers mow the lawns and even if it's the middle of the week, everything smells like Saturday. I love the noisy, messy explosion of chalk drawings on the footpath outside all the houses where kids live and how the morning sun is sliced into neat lines by the Venetian blinds in our lounge room so that something in the house always looks neat. I love people whose dogs take them water skiing down the footpath and the cats who watch me pass from high up on brick walls I hadn't noticed. Walking beside me, soon, with his dog, is Greg. Thinking of nominating my dog for Prime Minister. He says as he overtakes me. Especially with this thing on her head. He's walking backwards now as he pulls the dog, its head in a plastic cone, towards the park. That Alan up the road? He says. He got his sideboard back. Julietta's family quite happy to see it go, apparently. His face is turned before I can respond properly, and I'm not sure exactly what's happened, but I like Greg. The clouds have crept overhead now, but it's not raining so much as a silent mist is sifting down around me, darkening the concrete I walk on, leaving little peninsulas of dry beneath the trees. He knows her name. Her name is Julietta. And I say it out loud to the evening as I turn and head for home. (laughs) 